right. Welcome back to the MVP Interactive Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest in Tyler Stewart, who is the Vice President of Brand and Experience for Warner Brothers Discovery and Sports. He's a very uh, decorative background in both creative and entrepreneurial journeys, working both in the sports and entertainment industry. industry, hello, um, with a specialization in Web3, NFT, and blockchain. Very excited to talk to you today. Tyler, thanks for joining us. James, thanks so, so much for having me. Awesome. Awesome. So we're, we're just going to get right at it here. Um, you know, taking a look at your background, um, both in the sports world, media world, and, and now with Warner Brothers, of course, you know, you had quite the sort of um, sampling of industries, uh, obviously following the, the trends of sports and entertainment, but maybe talk to us about your career journey and what led you to Warner Brothers and, you know, any, any sort of special interest that lets you into the sports and entertainment fields. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely been a unique journey, I would say, but one that I'm proud to have gone on, um, taking it all the way back. I think, uh, I, I always thought I wanted to be in the sports world. Uh, transparently, I, <laughs> I, uh, I played sports my whole life. I actually was a walk-on at the university of Florida, uh, as a, as a quarterback on, on the football team in 2007. Very cool. Um, yeah, so that was kind of my journey of, of like, okay, I'm in sports, but I had that realization while I was in at college that, uh, I probably wouldn't, wouldn't be the next Tom Brady. So I wanted to be the next best thing. Uh, and for me at the time, that was uh, being in the talent representation world. So I, w- I was steadfast on wanting to become an agent. Um, so I studied sport management in school, which led me on that track. Uh, fortunately, was able to connect with a couple of people, make make a couple of calls. Um, straight after school, I actually started my first job as uh, a client servicing manager for, for a, a decently reputable agency. Uh, we were the top three in the business, I would say at the time. Uh, it was called Lagadere Unlimited. Uh, so it got me start into the, the sports and entertainment space. Um, we represented over 200 athletes across uh, all the big four sports leagues, as well as tennis, golf, et cetera. Um, so I started there, was able to really get my, my you know, feet wet in the, the sports world specifically and understand how the talent process worked, negotiations. Um, I specifically handled, uh, you know, like I said, client servicing and, and talent marketing, essentially, and, and trying to source and broker off, off the field endorsements for, for our players. Um, did that for about four and a half years, really liked it, but but realized that it wasn't my long-term goal. Uh, I'd moved to New York City, uh, was exposed to a bunch of other stuff, uh, got really excited about some of the other things I was involved in from a cultural perspective, from an experiential perspective, um, just all that the, the world, quite honestly, had to offer, offer um, and was able to make my way into the media space. So quite a pivot at the time, um, but found my way to Conde Nast and GQ Magazine, uh, which I, I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, but really there got my, my feet wet in the, uh, integrated marketing world, building ad programs for partners. Um, I handled the retail and luxury space. So, so luxury watches, um, big box retailers, high, high fashion retailers, et cetera, would build their, their integrated program so they could tap into the GQ audience. Uh, did that for a few years. And, um, then my next role was actually able to, in my opinion, uh, merge my first job and my second job really well together. Um, which was at the Players' Tribune, a small little startup by Derek Jeter, um, really the voice of the game, uh, bringing the the athletes' voices directly to the fans uh, and really cutting out the middlemen of media was kind of the position that we had. Um, So I was brought over there to head up all things marketing, both from a brand and a sales perspective. Uh, Really enjoyed that as well, kind of, you know, went from the big companies that I was at before to, to a much smaller startup vibe. So learned a lot about the the VC world and, and funding rounds and all of that good stuff. Um, while also learning a lot about how to grow a brand and grow a business. 
um, did that for a few years and, uh, you know, loved every second of it. But again, opportunity called and I was able to take all of my experience and, and join the Bleacher Report organization, uh, which at the time was, was still Time Warner, um, pre-sale to AT&T, which made us Time, or excuse me, which made us Warner Media, and then pre-sale to merger with Discovery, which has made us Warner Bros. Discovery. Uh, so long, long cycle there, which I can dive more into if, if we get there. But um, started a Bleacher Report to go ran, run the brand brand efforts um and the portfolio that they had and then through my time uh, at bleacher report uh again through the transitions of the company uh it's now warner bros discovery uh specifically within the sports vertical um mm -hmm. and oversee brand and experience there which essentially is our marketing function um the only thing to note i, I guess i suppose it doesn't touch the sales marketing fun function which i had previously been involved in in some of my past lives uh, but now really focus on all things brand marketing, uh, which in includes content, talent, product efforts, uh, really making sure the brand gets out there through those those verticals under the brand umbrella that we have. Um, experiential, which is all things experience as a whole, mainly in real life experiences, but also heavily now, which you alluded to a little bit, which we can dive into our our digital experiences and our, our innovative efforts in that, that realm, um, as well as our merchandising business uh, is the third vertical I oversee. Um, so we have a pretty robust apparel business. Um, you know, we sell uh, licensed merchandise with the NBA. Uh, we've dabbled with players associations in the past as well. Um, custom unique experiences for our brand partners, team partners, et cetera. Um, so all of those buckets collectively make up uh, the brand and experience of the Warner Bros. Discovery uh, sports vertical. Wonderful. Well, that's a fascinating background. Um, I, fun fact about being a walk on at uh, Florida, you know, we have the pleasure of working and in production with a lot of professional athletes. And, you know, I've always, you know, despite the reputation maybe of uh, when we were, uh, you know, in our generation that, you know, this, this era of the dumb jock. Right. And and yeah. I cannot say how much of a fallacy that is working with professional athletes and athletes at a very high level and how much of a competitive advantage that is to, um, you know, the workforce, you know, thinking back to that time period in your life, knowing that you probably didn't even know what experiential marketing or integrated marketing was as an athlete yeah. in college, but talk to us a little bit about that experience as a student athlete and how that sort of woven into maybe the players tribune, tribune in the startup environment, because, you know, I always joke that I say that business is a contact sport in many ways, especially in, in, in the startup world in terms of, you know, what the sheer perseverance that you have to do on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, there's no safety net, right? And so everything that you do has, material impact on the outcome of, you know, said project. And so yep. maybe give us a little bit of insight into um, how that's maybe helped you throughout your professional career. Yeah, it's a great point. I think, um, you know, it's a, it's a wild world collegiate sports in general, as we're seeing now showcased by NIL and everything that's, that's spawning from it. I think, uh, you know, even my time there predates a lot of the, the innovations and, and enhancements that have taken place to date. And so my answer, if I were a student athlete now, uh, would probably be vastly different than, than it was for me then. Um, but I think it, it opened my eyes to a lot of stuff, right? Like it, it showed me the business of sports. It showed me how, the, the passion of fandom. Um, it showed me, you know, how much people care about certain things and like what it takes to get to the level. Um, I, you know, I was at a pretty, pretty substantial D1 program. And although my, my playing time was, was pretty much non-existent as a walk-on quarterback sitting behind the likes of, of Tim Tebow and Cam Newton, um, <laughs> You know, I, I still got to at least see and be exposed to just the the craziness that is a, a massive D1 football program. 
Um, and then again, like just game days on Saturdays and seeing all that and all that it encompassed from a fandom perspective, from a sponsor perspective, um, just being in the swamp and seeing seeing everything that happened on the Jumbotron and all the things that were taking place inside the stadium, even at a collegiate level, just really kind of opened my aperture for like, whoa, this is a big deal. Um, and it also, of course, like working inherently with some of the, the best players in the country at the time. Um and and seeing how they operated and seeing the the training that went into it and seeing the dedication that they had to their craft and what they had to do to get to where they were and also to where they would eventually get from a league perspective and all that. Um, seeing, of course, how the coaches handled things from a leadership perspective, all those all of those things absolutely factored into one, my my love of the the sport, my love of um, sport in general um, and wanting to work in them. But also, I think tr- certainly crafted who I was as a person. Um, you know, some of the the attributes that I have as a, as an employee, as a leader, um, and really crafted, you know, my, my way of being for, for future progress and, and future profession for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let, let's talk about, um, some of your, your marketing ranges in terms of, um, you know, your, your clientele, your customer base spanning both sports and entertainment. And, you know, given that we're both sort of experienced deliverers, right? Like that's the business of, of what we're in either, whether it's from the technology standpoint or a full campaign standpoint, you know, we're really selling experience and that's what brands are, are targeting. And so the ever evolving challenge for, for all brands is really to stay connected with their consumers and their customers in a, in a thoughtful, meaningful way, in an interesting way. Right. And so over the past, 10 years, even from our perspective, we've seen, um, you know, interests and, and uh, whether it's technology hype cycles or, you know, what brands are leveraging uh, new technologies to target these audiences or consumers. We also see a sort of a mind shift in the consumer itself in terms of valuing experience over maybe product, right? And so, especially if you talk about the millennial or the Gen Z uh, generation. So talk to us about, you know, your experience, maybe spanning each of, you know, old guys like me, like a Gen Xer <laughs> to, uh, you know, the Gen Z folks and how your, your strategies and campaigns are shifting. Yeah. I think um, it, it, it definitely differs depending upon the product that we were putting out at the time, right? Like you go back to the talent agency days, like our product and our quote unquote experience were the athletes, right? Um, and we would we would cater that to make sure that the teams were getting the product and the experience that we could sell them, um, which inherently the teams were then selling to uh, obviously their fans and, and the, the larger fandom that they had based off the players that we were working with. Uh, so I think an experience from that perspective um, versus an experience now uh, from a you know digital publisher uh, at, at the core uh, are vastly different things. So so there's been a lot of quote unquote experience um, in that in those different verticals. Um, but I think as we we look to it, there's been a lot of evolution. There's been a lot of of change in each of those those uh, roles that I mentioned previously. Um, again, going back to the talent world, like even then. It was everything was very transactional at the onset, right? And then as I was getting towards the end of my tenure there, um, we were much more focused on all-encompassing experiences that were catered and centered by and for the player, um, but still had a broader appeal and a broader approach. And I, I say that meaning like no longer was it just like a car dealership, you know, interaction, very transactional approach from a deal perspective. We were saying, okay, how can we then make this a much bigger effort for this player and have a brand built around it versus just, hey, here's some cash, go tweet this for us, right? right. So like that experience went from just, hey, I'm a, I'm going to do this as a player to I'm now able to build this as a player, right? And I think that was very, the early onset 
um, of what we're seeing now with every athlete becoming a, a business in them in and of themselves. You know, Steph Curry and his his VC fund. Um, you know, KD this is the same. So that was like the very early stages of athletes and talent seeing that they could be more than that. I think as you fast forward going through the through the uh, the resume a little bit. Um, experiential became quite a, a thing that was front and center for me in, in the GQ days because, you know, GQ was a very tangible thing, um, not only from a product standpoint, it was a physical magazine and we were pivoting to digital property at the time, um, but also like being GQ had this, it was an adjective that like meant something to a lot of men in the fashion world, right? It's like, oh, you look very GQ. So like, how can you bring that experience to, uh, to the physical realm, to people to touch and feel it? Um, and that was something that we were excited to be able to do quite a bit with a lot of our, our brand partners and, and ad partners that came in wanting to touch not only our audience, but also those experiences that we could build for them. Um, so it was very unique and interesting to be able to, you know, go from that very athlete transactional approach, see how it could evolve a little bit and then bring that same type of thinking to these um, to the, the realm of, of fashion and, and which was a much more luxurious, much more highbrow uh, approach, I would say. Um, you know, fast forwarding to now as well, like it, it, it's taken on such a different meaning, uh, the term experience and, and what experiential is for us. Um, I think, you know, it, we have a, a pretty robust practice. And when we say experiential at Bleacher Report and, and the portfolio of brands from Hustle Highlights to Kicks, um, you know, our also our league partnerships with the NHL and the NBA and, and what we can bring to the table in that regard. Um, many of it or much of it, excuse me, is is absolutely from a physical standpoint. Um, but at the same time, and where we're at now, there's so much from a digital lens that we can look through um, to craft it in a way that we know is going to resonate most with, with our audience and engage with our consumers in the best way possible. So um, I would say that, you know, to put a bow on it, like that's, that's where we're at from just an evolution standpoint is like experience is, is not physical. It's not digital. It, it really is capturing the audience at where they are. So if that means a, a 13 year old kid on their phone playing Roblox on their couch or, uh, you know, a 50 year old guy who's going to, uh, you know, the NBA all-star game and he wants to come, uh, you know, touch and feel uh, the brand of that app that he follows. Uh, we get, we can really check all those boxes and, and accomplish it across the board. Yeah. And I think we can both agree that uh, gone are the days of just uh, concourse tchotchkes and uh, handouts and hard sell solicitation. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So if I have anything to say about it, for sure. <laughs> yeah, likewise, I'm with you, man. I am with you. Um, so this is a, a great time of year as a sports fan. We're literally a day away, a day off of the college championship. Uh, we have the NFL playoffs starting. Um, we just wrapped up the NHL Winter Classic and the NBA All-Star Game is coming up. And, um, you know, this is is really uh, kind of a peak for for us sports fans. And so talk to us a little bit maybe about some of the activations that, um, you know, you've executed in, in those events or anything down the pipeline that you have that are that you're able to share at this point. Totally. Um, Q1 and uh, Q4 are, are pretty much our busiest times of year, I would say, right? Summer has a little bit of a lull from a sports calendar perspective. So um, yeah, it definitely heavies up in, at the end of the year and at the beginning of the year. It's a, you know, for no pun intended, it's, it's kind of our Super Bowl. Um, pretty proud of some of the stuff we've been able to accomplish, uh, at the end of last year, as well as what we're excited about for this. Um, just to give you some examples, uh, I mentioned our, our apparel business, our merchandising practice that we have. Uh, we have a, we're an official licensee of the NBA. Um, we had a, a collection that we called NBA artist series, uh, which is where we team up with 
reputable artists, whether they're painters, sculptors, uh, embroidery artists, whatever you might call them, um, across the, the spectrum and actually create MBA licensed merch with them. Um, but we have original art that they would create based off the MBA theme, uh, then additions based off of that art. And then we create merchandise based off of, of the additions in the art as well. So for our second time around, we launched this in 2021. 2022 was our second time. We wanted to launch it at Art Basel in Miami. Uh, which is a huge week, uh, like big time on the cultural calendar. Quite frankly, um, Bleach Report had never been at Basel and, and some could say had no business being at Basel. Um, but we took it as an opportunity to really expand our, our just reach and our, our exposure to that market and bring the, you know, the, the worlds of art and basketball, art and sport together and really celebrate it in a, in a cool and unique different way. Um, so we, we launched it at Basel this year, as I mentioned, down in Miami, it was December 1st through the 4th. We took over a space in Wynwood, had a, a proper art gallery where the artists that we teamed up with, Matt McCormick, um, LA-based guy, really awesome artist, um, created, uh, put all of his art in the gallery. Then he wanted to uh, essentially, to through the, the nostalgia of what a, the epitome of a sports bar would be through fandom, uh, his basketball fandom growing up, et cetera, we literally recreated, or, or I guess, uh, newly created because it didn't exist before what we called the fadeaway cocktail lounge home of the buzzer beater so we literally went from this really pristine um uh gallery space uh into a really rugged like intentionally shitty excuse my french um mm -hmm. sports bar and dive bar where it had pool table and like signed posters and old school heat memorabilia and all this stuff um and you know we would give fans a uh, uh, access if they made the little nerf buzzer beater we would give them free drinks free free merchandise whatever it might be so really from an experience perspective as we keep talking about that keyword um going from that juxtaposition of like highbrow like really classy really fancy art into like the epitome of sports fandom we watch world cups game in there uh, world cup matches in there we watched uh, a miami heat game in there because they were playing away in boston that night um, like going from that one to the other that juxtaposition of was a really unique fan experience um, and allowed us to put the brand out there, both Bleach Report and the NBA uh, in a different manner. So that was one example that was just really relevant and really recent that I was excited about. Um, another is, you just mentioned NHL Winter Classic. Uh, we were on the ground in Boston uh, for the Bruins and Penguins game. Um, uh, we took over the lot right next to Fenway Park, which was incredible from a proximity perspective. Um, really bringing like the fandom of the NHL and, and what what NHL fans care about, of course, around the the magic, some would say, of the Winter Classic being the outdoor hockey game in a place so, uh, so amazing as Fenway. Um, but really, you know, much more of a traditional uh, fan experience, uh, but we brought some really unique things to it, I would say. Um, you know, it, it was uh, all culminated with the Sam Hunt concert, which people really enjoyed. Um, but it was really the combination of both fans just see, being there and celebrating the sport, not not nearly about, um, you know, a Boston thing or or Pittsburgh thing. Um, so it was a really unique experience for them to be all there and, and celebrate in that manner. But one of one of the highlights from that is uh, the team did a really amazing job creating a, really a, a brand new hot sauce. Um, we had this whole campaign called Hockey is Hot as Puck. So we literally <laughs> created we created a hot sauce called hot as puck. And fortunately me and a couple of colleagues got to actually taste test that before it was bottled up. And it was nine out of 10 on the, on the spicy scale, but uh, it was really fun to see people on the ground with all the branding of this new, you know, new invention that we made and going into the sin bin challenge uh, where they literally had to try to eat um, chicken tenders, chicken wings doused in this sauce in a, in a short enough period of time. 
Uh, and if they did, they, you know, were rewarded with a prize, whether it be tickets or a free bottle of the hot sauce, whatever it would be. So right. that amongst a couple of other things, like we had brand activations there, of course, with some of our partners, like Truly Discover, Jaeger, who are all NHL partners, of course. Um, but it was just a really cool, like physical thing to be at. And people, you know, we had over 8,000 people come through the experience before they walked. Uh, and it was only a four hour event right before the, the winter classic started at 2 PM. So it was great, uh, across the board. Uh, and then I guess just lastly, of course, our NBA partnership as a, as a rights holder is, is really big for us. Um, we always activate in a big way at all-star weekend, you know, dating back the past four years, five years. Um, we've done some really cool things in the cities, uh, where the all-star game is held. So we, we fully intend to this year for, for, uh, in Salt Lake city, um, mm -hmm. A couple things to look forward to uh, is we're, we're going to have a, an activation that that merges, you know, digital and physical experiences. Think of like a basketball version of, of Top Golf. Um, so it's hard to, you know, hopefully not too hard to picture because we're going to bring it to life. Uh, but without getting too much into it, there would be a really cool like fan activation for them to bring mm -hmm. basketball and Top Golf together. Um, House of Highlights will be present in a big way. Um, with their creator league and house of highlight showdown vibes, which we've done really well building that franchise um, talking about our, you know, some apparel partnerships and things like that. Uh, we'll actually be at the NBA space as well, uh, which they have is called NBA crossover. So we'll be there with some exclusive merch um, specific to the Utah fans. Um, so really excited to, to do some of that. And then of course, like, um, you know, partner conversations are still happening. We always cook up some really cool things for some of our sponsor activations, but we're a little too, a little too early to, to release those right now. But, um, you know, lots, lots cooking for, for, for Utah, for sure. Well, that's great. Well, we hope to see you there. We'll, we'll have an activation. It's, um, you know, we're working with an NBA partner now, but it's, it's interesting. It's, it'll be, uh, what was formerly called jam session, but crossover adjacent that we'll be activating at a, at a local mall. It makes sense for the brand, but very exciting. So we'll keep that up under wraps for now, but, uh, yeah, I'll, uh, it'll be nice to run into you in Salt Lake. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Can't wait to see you guys there. Yeah. So you, you had mentioned something interesting about, I, I love the idea of blending sports and, and art and being an art basil. And, you know, one of the experiences that I, I felt was a really positive um, experience or, or sort of silver lining to the COVID era of live events and sports was a project that we worked on with the uh, Tennessee Titans and where uh, at that time in the NFL, we didn't know if fans were going to be in the venues or allowed at games. And, you know, from a marketing perspective and a team perspective, you know, it's still very much important to stay tied with your community and um, really have your brand be um, the excitement of the NFL season, be front and center uh, to your local community. So what the Titans did was they they leased a vacant building downtown Nashville and commissioned a local artist to hand paint uh just a wonderful mural and if you've been to nashville of course you know it's a very mural driven city it's a part of their right. tourism and so they did a fantastic job of um you know tying in the sort of natural fabric of of what it means to be a nashvillean or tennessean uh and then also do a brand promotion and get the excitement of the artwork with the uh, the mural net that it featured a, a pro football player, you know, a Titans player. And then it sort of called out all different, you know, historical sort of resilient things that have happened over the course of that year in Tennessee. And so, um, you know, I thought it was really well done. And then of course, our element of um, experiential was making that neural come to life through augmented reality. And so that campaign uh, did tremendously well, but it was such a perfect seamless blend of sports and art that just made a lot of sense. And, 
you know, quite frankly, I mean, outside of maybe a, a, a Leonard Nimoy painting, there's not much of that. Or, uh, however, the NBA has always done a great job of blending art and culture with their with their particular brand. And so, um, but yeah, I thought that was interesting to to having a, a presence in art bad. So I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, kudos to you and the the project with with the Titans. I think, um, you know, as we had talked about before, finding ways to continue to engage, especially in hard times like COVID, uh, which everybody, not just the sports industry, was struggling with. Uh, is, is vitally important. And I think, of course, if if you can add that physical nature and, and bring in some digital elements, um, you know, we've dabbled in this space a lot and, and continue to try to figure out when and where we're going to play with more digitally leaning, uh, digitally innovative efforts. Um, of course, like from a Web3 perspective, which you, you alluded to a little bit earlier, um, you know, it's it's been such a, a chaotic roller coaster ride of a thing at this point, right? Um, and we've we started pretty early in the space, like from an NFT standpoint, the, actually the bubble season of the NBA, we dropped our first NFT um, for this experience that we did called Open Run, which was a two versus two rappers basketball game. It was Quavo and Jack Harlow versus uh, um, 2 Chains and Lil Baby. Uh, so we had a, a custom designed basketball, digital basketball with each of those those um, rappers. Uh, and then if you bought the NFT, whether it was a gold edition, silver edition, you had the chance to get a physical version of that limited ball actually made and, and shipped to you. Um, so it went really well. It was again, very early in the process. I, I wouldn't sit there and say we would drop the same NFT in the same way again right now. Of course, everybody can sit here and talk about crypto winter and, and what, what NFTs are and, and how whatever. Um, but I think for us, the way we approach those digital elements in, in that, you know, that new space is really testing and learning and making sure that we're doing it strategically and we're not going to do anything just to do it. We're going to do it because we think it either makes sense or it proves value to our fan. And I think, again, whatever anyone thinks uh, of where we're at in the current ecosystem of Web3, of crypto, of NFTs, et cetera, of the blockchain, uh, I think there's an absolutely inherent value in, in what that brings, um, specifically from a sports perspective. Uh, I think it, it can allude a lot to um, the validation of things for fans, the validation of fandom as a, as an actual asset, um, you know, the access and the utility that ownership of these things on the blockchain can get um, mobile gaming um, sports gaming, when you're eventually playing, you know, uh, not EA and, and Madden necessarily, but as you're playing these games future forward, like the things that you do to level up in those experiences in the digital realm will allow you more access, you know, very ready player one, if you will. Um, so those types of things, as we think about them, and as you bring them to augmented reality, mixed reality, virtual reality, whatever you want to call it, um, all of those things will certainly have a part future forward. And, and it's my job. And it's as, as we look forward, and as we continue to put our best foot forward, I should say, um, you know, we got to make sure that we're doing it in a strategic manner that is, is tapping into those things when people are actually asking for it, or at least helping lead the charge to make sure that they know they should be asking for it. Right. Um, so Again, I, that that there was a, a I guess an odd way to get there from you alluding to the sport and art realm, but um, you know you're, well, it's, you're it's where I was going next, so I do yeah yeah sorry about that, but your your activation component made me think of it, and it's like yeah it's whether it's sport and culture or digital sport or um, you know the future in sport whatever you want to call it like uh, we as a brand and us as an industry need to continue to play in that space because we have to we have to go where the audience is and the audience is heading there so. Yeah, for sure. I, well, you know, I think that you brought up a good point too when when you were talking about NFTs and you know, everyone wants to be dunking in each other's face about where what side of the fence you stood last year about NFTs and cryptos and all of that and and I understand that from 
you know, all perspectives. And one of the things that we've experienced, again, I'm just using a, a, a decade, 10 years um, as a sample set, but shy of calling them hype cycles or buzzwords, you know, technology and marketing have to, you know, have this very dynamic relationship with each other where, you know, you need to keep pace with the different trends of what's happening from a consumer perspective, from a technology perspective. And, you know, marketers, you know, certainly want to have one step ahead, but technology moves very fast. And so it's a push-pull relationship. And so we've seen these cycles of different technologies, um, you know, kind of come and go and, you know, some more successful than others. But, you know, I think if you take the approach similar to, you know, essentially this is my personal philosophy is that, you know, you can really um, kind of stack the IP and the experiences over a myriad of time to really evolve the technology. And so, you know, virtual reality was taken over by augmented reality, for example, and augmented reality was taken over by uh, the metaverse, right? And the metaverse, yep. you know, my your forecast for this year, it's going to be everything AI, you know, AI is going to take the industry by storm, but you know, there's always IP and there's always something that you can pull from the past. And again, speaking of pandemic, I mean, let's, let's talk about the QR code, right? You know, 20 year technology, 20 year old technology yep. becoming the most uh, prominent way of life interaction that we've had over the past three years. And and so I think if, um you know, people can time, you know, Take it from that perspective where, you know, pulling the strategic IP or at least elements of the technology that, okay, maybe it's not an NFT sole uh, campaign, but it's more of a holistic, you know, um, activation or a holistic campaign around, you know, the physical presence, the virtual presence, the, you know, the physical takeaway, the digital takeaway and so on. I think that's where, you know, the future is really bright and, um, you know, what excites us in that, you know, you're not going to be left in the dust per se, if you just focus on one technology, you just kind of stack it forward. Yeah, agreed. And that's what I was mentioning with like, you know, very much a test and learn approach from our perspective, right? Because we had the opportunity to create a sports metaverse. We had the opportunity to do X, Y, and Z. Um, and not to say we won't do that or aren't doing that, uh, but we're going to do it in a manner that makes sense for us and that makes sense for our fans. And the one thing that I've realized dating back, not at my current role, but back history, like it's so funny because I remember very vividly <clears throat> at a very uh, creative, very um, inspirational, creative marketer that I worked for at that talent agency as well, uh, which kind of merged my role from the agent that I was working for and then the marketer that I was working for. And that really set me up for my my next steps. But at the time, this was literally 2010, 2011. He was scanning QR codes on a piece of paper as a trigger and it would pop up a little augmented reality like critter that would drive around. We'd go to meeting, to meeting, to meeting and be like, look at this new technology. And like that literally is finally now just coming to the fold through Snapchat lenses, et cetera. And people just sometimes aren't ready for the tech, right? And I think that's what we're seeing a lot now is like the adoption of things is not to the level it needs to be in order for the tech to do what it actually can. Um, so the QR code as an example, so old, but like, we just had to find the proper use for it for people to not touch a menu and for people to scan something off of a jumbotron instead of having to, you know, tell them to type in the URL. So like those are things that have existed, but it's not going to happen until people are ready for it. Similar with AI, similar with the metaverse, similar with NFTs, like the the, the underlying technology is there. And then once the people are, are ready for it, um, to your point, not getting left in the dust, uh, it'll very much do the things that I think everybody that is now hoping it'll do will actually do. Um, yeah, so. absolutely. And, you know, and it's, it's, it's a big thing for marketers. And I, you know, I, I see this from a, you know, on our side of the desk per se, but the, the power and the importance of brands being able to bring this technology to consumers that they wouldn't ordinarily 
have access to is is really paramount to, you know, where technology goes. And so I think we have to give a lot of credit to the brands that underwrite and take uh, take the challenges, uh, take the risk of of taking on this technology and bringing it to a consumer base that necessarily wouldn't wouldn't be able to experience it. And I think VR was a big example of that back in 2013, 2014, where you know headsets and PCs were you know four, five, six thousand dollars. There's not many many gifts under the Christmas tree that are going to be able to, uh, to unwrap that for, you know, for a, a generation. Right. And so I think as brands, um, the value and the importance of leveraging technology, bringing it to, uh, consumers is, is really understated. And, uh, you know, the other point that you had mentioned is, you know, technology kind of, you know, being far in advance of what people are comfortable with is, is so spot on. And that's something that we experienced as a company where, you know, our company thesis from day one was really to create these in-venue fan experiences through technology, immersive technology. Yep. Uh, but in two, 2012 and 2013, what that really meant was like a new jumbotron for a, a, an arena, right? That's where ownership and that's where the facilities were at. The, it wasn't quite uh, to the level that it is now, and um, which is nice to see it pulling forward where you go to any live event, marketing event, sporting event. You're getting activation, chock full of different experiences, both analog, you know, that'll never go away. And there's value in that. You do it right. You do it well. I mean, your hot sauce example is a perfect (laughs) example of, you know, getting a tactical experience that makes a lot of sense. And then, you know, bringing it forward with with technology is, um, you know, it's nice to see that the industry is that this is this is the way this is the future. Yeah, it's funny to say that like my mom got my stepdad for for Christmas this year, a, a, a meta Oculus headset. And like, I, I had had one fortune, it's actually sitting behind me on the counter. Um, but uh, I had to help him set it up and like, try to show him how to play the Beat Saber game. Sure. And like, just seeing that and like, to you when you said there's not four, four to 6,000 headsets sitting under the tree, like, that's very true. And because now this is affordable, my mom got it for him and just seeing a, an older gentleman try to use something inherently new to him was, was pretty interesting. Um, you know, but piggybacking off of that, the world's not getting any less techie, right? Like the there's not going to be less innovation. There's not going to be less technological development. So, so like that's something that that people need to and should realize, and hopefully can kind of wrap their brains around like where all these brands that are pumping in the money to develop these technologies, like where it's ultimately going to go. At what pace we get there is still to be determined, um, because then you have like little cycles like we're in right now. I just read an article this morning about how you know, younger people are trying to decouple from technology, like they're putting down their iPhones and they're, they're or they're using it for be real instead of Instagram, or, you know, they're putting down their phone for the, the, the iPhone lens and they're using a Polaroid camera again and, and like bringing that, that technology back. So, you know, there's, and then there's this, there's this emphasis on physical experiences and like booking a flight and going somewhere versus, you know, sitting on your phone all day. So like, I think there's that mini cycle of that, like, you know, backtrack, which is almost like it's a, it's a two step forward, one step back approach for a lot of people. Um, Mm -hmm. But again, I don't think it'll slow it down enough to where uh, all the kids playing Roblox and, and, you know, developing their own games and and literally getting their allowance paid in Robux and all of those things is going to change any of that. So. Yeah, absolutely. Nostalgia will always be a pervasive force in our life. And that's a good thing, right? You know, it's, it is, it is important to kind of go back in time and, um, you know, just to keep pace with everything else. So Tyler, listen, we're at our time. This was fascinating. I really appreciate your time. And for our listeners, um, if you're comfortable, what you're willing to share, you know, please let us know where our our listeners can find you and um, keep pace of all the great things that you're you're working on. Yeah, totally. I'm, I'm an open book. Uh, easiest is probably LinkedIn, honestly, just Tyler Stewart. Uh, there's probably a couple of us though. So uh, 
you know, make sure it's the right, right one. Uh, the, the, the BR Tyler Stewart. Um, but then I'm also on Instagram. It's just my, my full name actually, cause nothing else was available. Tyler at Tyler Dane Stewart. I'm on Twitter as well, but not super active, just more, more, more educational on Twitter these days. Um, but, uh, but uh, happy to reach out or, or take any reach outs from anybody that, uh, that might want to. All right. Well, wonderful. Thank you again. And uh, this is the MVP interactive podcast. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. James, thanks so much. All right.